You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. So my mom, I've told you in the past, was an incredible planner. She could just plan anything. She would plan our family vacations down to the minute. There was like an itinerary you had to follow. I mean, she just could plan everything out, really wise with money, was a planner, was everything schemed out, and she knew exactly where everything belonged. But one time she messed up, all right? Um, as, as an amazing planner as she was, the one time she messed up is when Kelly and I got married and we were going on our honeymoon. She's like, I'll book the trip for you, okay? Now, this is like before Hotels.com and all those different things where you could take like a virtual tour of everything online and you know exactly what you're getting into. So we pull up to the place and we're in Mexico and mom's handled everything and we're all excited about a great week away. And um, we see the, the place as we're walking in. We're like, this is actually amazing. Like, mom did great here. And uh, we walk in and we're, we're heading out to the pool. And, and there were just two details that mom missed, like really important details. First of all, there was pretty much no one under the age of 90 and clothes were optional. So there you have it. So yeah, so I'm still in therapy, uh, still working through some stuff. But as you can imagine, that was a really important detail that mom missed out there. So be careful where you head, kids. But we're learning something important in the series. Forgive the, forgive the crude introduction. But that there's a plan, right? That there's a God who doesn't miss details. There's a God who's a planner. And, and we've seen that he's called a sovereign God. And we've seen so far that this word sovereign means a few things, a few really important things. It's talking about how God is in authority, he's in control. But we saw last week that he's present. He's not just an authority and control. He's present. He's with us. He's walking with us and he has us. And so today we're going to answer a few really important questions. And you know how sometimes you go to church and it kind of feels like, okay, I learned some stuff today, but I don't really know how that's going to apply to my life this week. I really feel like today it's really easy to make that leap. Like I think we're just talking about things that we're all living and walking through. And so I think what we see today and learn today from the book of Daniel is going to greatly encourage us just for like tomorrow. So I pray you'll let you put it into practice this coming week. But question number one we're going to look at is, are defiance or self-centeredness owning any of us today? Like, is that just where you find yourself today? Like defiance is basically God says left, I'm going to go right. You know, anybody in that spot today? Self-centeredness, just sort of my plan versus God's plan. And so, so important to think about. Question two, what will we do when culture calls for us to forsake God? Which, hello, that's where we're living, everybody, isn't it? That's the world we're living in today. Question three, what does real faith look like in desperate situations? And I think that we have a decent read on this. Like, what does faith look like in in really hard circumstances? I think that we see a good picture of it, but I think that we miss part of the picture. And I think it's a really vital part of the picture. And so we're going to hopefully fill in the rest of that portrait for you today. Question four, who stands with us in the fire? When we're in the fire of trial, of loss, of pain, who's with us? there and and what does it matter this is real life stuff this is again kind of where we find ourselves every day this week and so i pray that you're encouraged if you're not a follower of jesus you're going to see some important things about jesus today and i pray that they challenge you and encourage you and that you leave here close to him we're going to just see as we look at the book of daniel a few things and we've already discovered some things first off we know that daniel was uh someone lived in jerusalem nebuchadnezzar came and conquered jerusalem and took daniel and some of his friends and they were now serving him as wise And we're going to jump right in here to Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Everybody say gold. Sixty cubits high and six cubits wide. And set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. Now, 
the cubit was a unit of measurement, okay? And I, I'm going to start telling people how tall I am in cubits because it just sounds better, all right? So I'm about 5'11 in feet, but nine cubits. That just, I, I just am excited about that. Um, but this statue would have been about 100 feet tall and 15 feet wide. So this thing's really big. Okay. Now we don't know if it was like exactly an image of Nebuchadnezzar, like it looked like him, or it was something that just represented him and his kingdom. And so you guys are familiar with just different statues. In fact, if you live or drive through Smithtown at any point, you're going to drive by Richard Smith. I got a little picture here of the Richard Smith statue. There he is. Thank you, Richard, 1665. And um, Nebuchadnezzar's statue would have dwarfed this. I mean, this is tiny in comparison to what you should be thinking about as you imagine this statue in your mind. Now, there's something important about this statue we have to talk about. Everybody, again, everybody say gold. Okay, so the whole statue is made of gold. Now, remember last week we saw Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and in that dream was a statue. Does anybody remember what the part of that statue that represented Nebuchadnezzar was made of? Good, yeah, gold. And it was just the head, right? Remember he was the gold head. Then we went down to silver, and that was the Medo-Persians, and that was another kingdom coming after him. Then the next kingdom that would come after them were the Greeks. It was the bronze, and then the legs were the iron, and that represented Rome. So think about it here for a minute. Here is a statue made of only gold. It's not all the four different kingdoms that God said, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to rule for a while, then the Medo-Persians are going to come, and then, no, I just wonder, is Nebuchadnezzar basically making a stand here going, no, God, it's just me. My whole statue's gold. It's all me. It's all my kingdom. Nobody's coming after me. I'm not really worried about who's coming after me. It's all Nebuchadnezzar. It's all Babylon. We see their defiance, don't we? We see their crazy self-centeredness. And so I just ask you a couple questions. Are, are defiance or self-centeredness owning you today? Like this is an important thing. If there's something that, you know, God says go left on and you go right on, like that's a problem. Okay? That's not going to end well. And so what are those things in our lives? I, I would guess you don't actually have a gold statue, a 100-foot gold statue in your backyard uh, by your shed. If you do, I actually have a building project that I'd like to talk with you about. We're going <laughs> to melt that thing down and build this building up the street, right? But if you probably haven't gone that direction and instead maybe you just sort of do some of these things like, you know, God says end the relationship so you get engaged, you know. Like God says, hey, give to the church, and you go, I'm going to give to Jake's 58, right? Like God says, hey, join the men's group on Tuesday night, and you specifically join a bowling league so you can't go Tuesday night. God says stay, and you move. God says move, and you stay, right? It's like that. God says left, I'm going to go right. And so I wonder if that's a, a picture of anybody today. By the way, we wouldn't be the first people to struggle with this, by the way. There's a guy named Jonah, and God told him to go this way, and so Jonah went that way, and it worked out really well for him, if you know the story, right? He's swallowed by a whale and brought back to the purposes of God. And isn't it funny that in our lives, when we are told to go this way and we go that way, don't our circumstances swallow us whole? Isn't it funny how that works out? And so I'm telling you, because I love you today, that if there's any defiance or self-centeredness in you and me, we need to bring that to the Lord. When I was a kid, I struggled with, with uh, some defiance, man. I was that kid. You had to tell me to do the opposite, right? Um, some of you guys, just so you know, are on this mission to get me to be a country music lover, okay? So I'm just saying, the more you say it, the more I go in the other direction, okay? Just to let you know about that. But self-centeredness is basically my plan instead of God's plan. So what do we do with this, right? Here's Nebuchadnezzar building this statue, possibly to say, God, forget you and forget your plans. It's all me. I just wonder if there's any of that in any of us today. And I would just encourage you, if that's in you, 
It's, a time to, it's time to bring that to the Lord. It's time to say, God, forgive me for that. God, I don't want to go down that road. God, I've been walking that road. It's lonely. I'm far from you. I'm, I'm banging my head against the wall. I'm getting swallowed whole by my circumstances. And God, I want to do it your way. And you know, it's funny. We're only three chapters in, but every single week as we look at the book of Daniel, that word surrender has come up. And so what do we need to surrender to him today? Nebuchadnezzar then summons all the leaders and they stand before him. And I just want to say, some of you guys, this story is brand new. Okay, some of you grew up in church. You grew up going to vacation Bible school and Sunday school and things like that. And you might be familiar with this story. And I would just say, let's look at it through fresh eyes today and learn some new things. I know that I did as I was studying this stuff. So we can learn from this and be challenged by it. Let's go to verse four. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations, peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship. Everybody say worship. The image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Isn't that interesting? Nebuchadnezzar completely lost sight of what he learned at the end of the story last Sunday, right? And, and now what we know about Daniel in the book of Daniel is that this was a little while later. So, so this wasn't like next week for them, okay? This is a few years later. Daniel's a little bit older. He's not a teenager anymore. He's not like an older man yet, like we're going to find him in the lion's den. But he's older than he was. And so some time has gone on. And Somehow Nebuchadnezzar forgot what he said at the end of the last chapter because what he said at the end of the last chapter was, Daniel, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And now he's going, I'm the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And I just wonder where that disconnect came in. And sometimes it creeps in in us, doesn't it? We go on, verse 6. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So there's this intense penalty if you don't worship. If you don't do what you're being told to do in that culture, you will die. And what's interesting to me is that the book of Daniel is a real book of history. And as you study history, you find out that in this time, this was something that they would do. This, Nebuchadnezzar isn't the first king that came up with this. This is something as you study the history of the book, you find out that this was done to other people as well. So this is nothing new. Verse 7, therefore, as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So just picture yourself. You're one of these people, all right? And you're working at your fruit stand in the marketplace, and all of a sudden you hear the music, and you have to get down and worship this statue. Not because you want to, not because you love Nebuchadnezzar and you have this adoration for him, but because if you don't, you will be executed. Goes on here with the next question. We saw a little bit about self, uh, self-centeredness self and defiance, but, but let's go to question two. What will we do when culture calls for us to forsake God? Again, this is the air we're breathing right now, everybody. This is really relevant to us. Maybe it's not a literal statue that they're asking us to build, but it's the values and it's the direction of our heart and our affections. And so what do we do when culture calls for us to forsake God? Let's, let's keep going. Over the next few verses, some astrologers come to Nebuchadnezzar and say, hey, remember all those rules that you came up with? Well, there's some people that aren't following those rules. And it says this in Daniel 3.12. But there are some Jews who have set over the, you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you set up. And these guys could care less about Nebuchadnezzar's statue being worshipped. They just want their jobs. They just want these three guys' jobs. It goes on. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the images of gold that I've set up? You ever been caught red-handed? 
I mean, these guys were red-handed. When I was about three or four years old, I am told that I got into the habit of going to the refrigerator and grabbing a stick of butter and hiding behind the red chair in my den and eating it like an ice cream cone, okay? And I would get caught red-handed. I don't remember doing this, but I'm told that they would come and find me, and it got a little quiet, and they'd go, where's Doug? He's behind the red chair. And then they'd come, and I'd have this stick of butter behind my hand. I know it explains a lot about me. And uh, they'd find, you know, I would make these, I didn't do anything, right? And these were like, just all over my face and my hands and everything. And thankfully, I got this habit under control. I'm down to like twice a week now, so it's awesome. But <laughs> there they are, right? Red-handed. And what's funny to me is, here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in big trouble and on the hot seat. And if I'm that, I'm just thinking, where's Daniel? Like, you know the guy that named, the book's named after? Like, like, where's Daniel in all of this? And we actually don't know. He was maybe traveling on, on work for King Nebuchadnezzar. He was sick. We, we just don't know. What we do know from his character that we've seen to this point and what we'll see in the future is that he never would have bowed down to this statue the next few verses, uh, we see Nebuchadnezzar threaten them again and say, you're going to go bow down or you're going to be thrown into that furnace. And so we come to that question again. What do we do when culture calls us to forsake our God? I'll tell you what we do, everybody. Ready? Look me in the eyes real quick. We pay the price. We pay the price. Now, I got to be clear here. Paying the price doesn't mean we're paying God something for our salvation. Our salvation is free. Everybody say free. It's a gift. Everybody say gift. Okay, so we're not paying God for our salvation, but because we're followers of God and some people don't like that, it's kind of like we have to pay the price to them to follow God, but that's what we do, right? And I want you to just think about the fact that it's, it's not any different than what we do in the rest of our life. Like everything good in our life costs something, doesn't it? Like all the good stuff in our lives, all the things that we invest in and love most and hold most dear to ourselves, like they cost something, and we're willing to pay those prices because we love that thing, right? There was a man, and he was sitting in his, in his office, standing in his office, and he was making some copies at the copier machine, and, and the phone rang, and he picked it up, and he hears on the other line, darling, I found my dream car. Can I please get it? And he's like, well, how much? She's like, 200000 He's like, ah, I guess. She's like, oh, well, uh, also the realtor called, and he found our dream home. How much? Six, $6 million. Oh, well, if it's going to be $6 million, just make sure that there's a landscaper and a chef. And, but okay, one more thing, since you're in such a generous mood. Could, could we book that vacation finally? Just, you know, three weeks, 75000 He goes, well, let's make it four and go out to 100000 Oh, thank you so much. Hangs up. He looks around the office and goes, anybody knows whose cell phone this is? Right? <laughs> like, every know that, some of you got to get that on the way home. It's okay. Um, we all know that stuff costs stuff. And we, some of us are like, hey, man, I, that's a really great adventure. That's a really great home. That's a really great car. That's, right? like, uh, to get in shape costs something. To be a great artist or a great musician or a great athlete costs something. Right? It, it, you have to pay. right? And we're not paying Jesus. We're not paying God for our salvation. But again, because some of culture hates what the Lord stands for in his ways, there's a time that we pay the price to be a follower of Jesus, but it's so incredibly worth it. Why pay the price, right? That's the big question that comes up. Well, I've been saying this for a long, long time. You've been coming to our church for a long time. You, you heard me say this even at the old building, right? That my worst day with God is still better than my best day without him. Like, that's just the reality. It's kind of like, you know, paying a penny to receive billions. 
I'll pay that price. And I'm not trying to minimize what we go through. I know that some of us have maybe lost job opportunities because of our faith. Some of us are in, the, in some trouble. We're in some turmoil because of our faith. We're maybe even not as popular as we could be. We've lost some friends or acquaintances or dating relationship opportunities because of our faith. I'm, I'm not trying to minimize that. But at, in comparison, if we could zoom out and see eternity and see all that God offers us for all time, then it would literally be like giving a penny for a billion And I I guarantee you something, when you stand in heaven one day and you're able to talk with some people who gave their lives for for the cause of Christ, those martyrs who died and were executed because of their faith, every single one of them is going to tell you it was like giving a penny for a billion dollars. What I have in the Lord is so rich. And so Nebuchadnezzar is threatening them. And then he says this, he makes this statement, then what God, so he's saying, I'm going to throw you in that furnace, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. This is important because Nebuchadnezzar just told us something really important about his gods. Everybody say polytheist. Nebuchadnezzar was a polytheist, which means he believed in many gods. So he would have had the god of the sun, the god of the moon, the god of fertility, and all these different gods. And he would have worshipped all these different gods. And he just told us that his gods can't save somebody thrown into a furnace. And so who's going to save you? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we were thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. I love that they don't compromise here, right? But it kind of brings us to question three. What does real faith look like in desperate situations? And I think we see half of it in what we've read so far. And I think this is the fate that most of us often think of in the midst of a desperate situation. They basically say, hey, we know our God is able and we know he will. We know he's able and we know he will. And I want to encourage that kind of faith in us as a church, right? We should be going with that kind of expectation. I'm in a desperate situation. Life's falling apart. I have a need. I need provision. I need healing. I need God to put pieces back together in a family. I need uh, direction for my life, right? We should be going. I know he can and I know that he will. But there's this second statement that they make. They, they, They close it out with a very interesting statement. And it really shows us what real faith looks like in desperate situations They then say this, but even if he does not. But even if he does not. And that's an interesting part. You see, I think some of us will go, wait, they had so much faith, and then it's like like they lost their faith. You know, God's going to do it. We know he can, he will. But even if he does not, oh, why do you have no faith? I think sometimes that's what happens, right? We don't even know how to pray sometimes. Like we feel bad saying, oh God, your will be done. We feel bad saying, oh God, if it's your will or I surrender to you, it's always like, no, you have to just only speak words of faith, only speak words of faith. But, but these guys demonstrate what I would argue the greatest faith, right? Because they're saying, oh, we know we can and we know we will, but even if he doesn't. And there's this other side and it has nothing to do with unbelief, everybody. We got to take that weight off our shoulders. Saying your will be done is not unbelief. It's surrender to who God is. It's surrender to a sovereign God. And I love that they're basically saying God is able and we believe he will. And that should be our approach to all the different trials in our lives. But then to follow it up with even if he doesn't, we're going to keep worshiping him. What a powerful thing to say and to live out. God, I believe you will save my marriage, but even if you don't, I'm still yours. God, I believe that you will help me find employment again, but even if it takes a while, I'm going to still trust you. God, I believe that you will heal, but even if you don't, I'm surrendered to you. I love you. I'm giving up a penny for a billion dollars. I've got it made. 
Let's jump back to question two for a minute because we kind of are going to bounce between questions two and three a little bit here. What will we do when culture calls for us to forsake our God? Verse 18, this is how they finish the statement. So they've said, we, we know God will save us, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Why were they willing to do this? Again, because they've received so much in their relationship with the Lord. And they must have been thinking, too. And this is something we don't think about a lot. Like, they must have been also thinking, like, okay, so Nebuchadnezzar, if we don't worship God, we're going to go worship that statue you made? Like, Nebuchadnezzar, we know where that statue is. It didn't used to be there. You woke up one day. You had some plans drawn up. You gave it to your guys. They went out there and got some gold, melted it down, and then made it into that. And now you want us to worship that instead of our living God? And this is really the, the question in our lives, everybody, just so you know. And I think it ties back to the whole kind of pride, self-reliance that we looked at earlier, that defiance earlier. We have to recognize this, everybody. We're also always worshiping somebody. Like, if you're here today going, oh, I don't worship anybody. No, you do. Like Bob Dylan said it a long time ago. You're going to serve somebody, either the devil or the Lord. It's one or the other, right? And so there's not this middle ground. There's not this in-between. I love that they're going, wait, so you're asking us seriously to question whether we should worship the living God or that thing you just made? We're going to worship the living God. In a couple weeks, we're going to dive even further into a story that's a little bit similar in this way because it's really going to cause us to question some of the things that I think we worship that maybe we don't even realize we're worshiping. Goes on in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. They stayed true to their word. It wasn't like... They did it up until that point. You know, like you threaten your kid, like, all right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And eventually you, do, you say that one thing, and they're, they're defiant, they're defiant, and they're defiant, and then finally like, oh, no, 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 if you're going to take that away, right? And then sometimes as parents, we do this too, right? Like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to sell your kidney on the black market. Like, you start to, right? No, I'm not really going to sell your kid on the black market. Right? I'm gonna, let me pull that back, right? And we go right to that line. But I love that they get to the line, and they're like, throw us in. Because we're not going to worship anything but the one true God, because he's so worth it. You know, you can think about it like this. They're basically saying, we'll burn before we kneel. We'll do what we got to do because our God gives us what no one else gives us. Like, where are we going to get this? I love it. Peter says this, by the way, um, about probably about 550 years later, right? Jesus has offended everybody, and a bunch of people are walking away, and Jesus says to Peter, are you going to leave too? And Peter goes, where else am I going to go? You have the words of life. Who am I going to go to? I'm going to go worship a statue, right? Like how powerful that is. Gleason Archer says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego loved Yahweh, who is God, more than life itself. Not only had they learned to recite the Shema, which was hero, Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, but they made it the center of their lives. Our mission statement here at this church is that we center our lives around Jesus. For them, the will and glory of Yahweh meant more than fame, position, or security. Does it to us? Does it mean more to know him, follow him, and walk in his ways, even if it costs us? Verse 22, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing 
furnace. So clearly, this is not like a little campfire. This wasn't like you're, you're not hanging out around your solo stove in your backyard. Uh, this isn't even the size of our huge fire pit that we have at the property. And, you know, like we, we have people gather around that thing, and it's not so hot that everybody's con- consumed. In fact, I have a picture here of our production director and his, his girlfriend, Allie, literally sitting in the fire pit, like while a fire's going, and they're not consumed except for their love for one another. But, but <laughs> there's this raging furnace, right? This raging furnace burning so hot that it consumes even the people throwing them in. And everybody, sometimes in life, it's heating up. I feel like it's heating up right now in some ways, isn't it? You know, and I know a lot of you guys, and I look around the room, and I know the furnaces that some of you are in. And I know the heat that some of you guys are taking right now. And I know that some of us are, are going, man, it's just like I'm in the furnace of this lost job situation. I'm in the furnace of a loved one sick. I'm in the furnace of having lost a loved one and it is hot. It is so intense. But I love that there's question four still coming. Because I think it's the most important one today. Who stands with us in the fire? Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, I love this last line because there's a pagan king saying this. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods who stands with us in the fire. Jesus. Jesus. This is a beautiful, wonderful event because it's before Jesus coming to earth as a baby. And here he is standing with these men in the fire. Jesus is with you in the fire of your lost job and your, your lost loved one and your lost relationship and your lost influence and bullying at school and depression and anxiety and the divorce. and the, like He's with you as you walk through all these things. And there's a couple of things we just have to look at that maybe we didn't learn in Sunday school, okay? I love that the ropes get burned off because the ropes were a symbol of Nebuchadnezzar's control over them, everybody. And the ropes are burned off. And I believe with all my heart, we ask, why am I going through this trial? Why this fire right now? And I'm telling you that God is burning off what confines us in the fire. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's just things we need to learn. It's it's self-reliance. It's pride. Sometimes it's just being able to understand and start to see things through the lens of God's sovereignty. Like there are so many things that are trying to hold us back that I believe the Lord uses. And I just want you to know today, and we say this a lot here at church, but it's so important. You need a reminder sometimes that your pain is not purposeless. Your trials, your loss, the things you've walked through, not purposeless, all for a reason. As we have our eyes on our great God, he's using it all for a reason. And I'm so grateful that he doesn't leave us in any of this. And I also love another thought here, because I believe that right here in this furnace, God is showing their enemy that he is with them. God is showing their enemy that they belong to him. I believe he could do the same in our lives too. As we walk through trial and hardship and loss and ups and downs in life, I think at times the Lord is just showing, kind of like the story of Job, the Lord's just showing like, Watch my boy, watch my girl, watch them walk through this and how I'm with them and what I'm able to do through them. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, uh, Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around. So that's all like the politicians are all like around this fire, like 
blown out of their minds. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. So there's a big objection that's still lingering in the room. Some of you guys have a, a thought, and, and, and you're, 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 you're arguing with me in your head right now. And there's something that we'll get to in just a minute, but, but there's something that some of you right now are going, yeah, but Doug, and then you, you have this thought, and we're going to hit that thought in just a minute. But first, I want to just bring out another interesting point here. There's a guy named Charles Bockel, and he's a combustion engineer and a Christian, and he says this about this story, which is such a cool thought. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not only saved from the conflagration, which is just a fancy way of saying the fire, but also from asphyxiation, carbon dioxide poisoning, and possibly from other toxic fumes generated during the combustion process. Listen, God is saving you in ways you don't even know. There's no way that these three guys in 5-whatever BC were in this fire going, oh man, thank God he's protecting us from the carbon dioxide poisoning, Right? They had no idea they were even being saved from that. I'm telling you, he rescues you and he saves you. And I, and I know maybe all we can see is that thing we lost. And all of our attention's on the thing we lost. And behind us is like a, a thousand ways he saved us, a thousand ways he came through that we don't even know about yet. He's with you. He's, he's walking with you even in the midst of it. Let's go to verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. And I would say, once again, Nebuchadnezzar, a little bit of an overreaction there. You know, my man has big swings, okay? Verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So think about it. They stand with God, they stand for God, and he stands with them. What confined them was burned off, and he brings them out unharmed. And here we get to the objection. Some of you guys are like, Doug, I'm really thankful for Daniel. I'm thankful for different people here in the room who have had great miracles. But Doug, I went into the fire, and I got burned. Like I went into the fire and I lost a loved one. I went into the fire and I lost my house. I went into the fire and I lost my friends. I lost my relationship. I had my heart broken. Doug, there's a smell of smoke all over me. I would just say two things back to that. First, I would say we have a God who's able to restore in unbelievable ways. And as again, as I, as I look around the room today, and again, I know many of you guys, I feel like, I'm walking with some of you guys through great loss. And then I look at others of you and I see a God who's been restoring. And I know you're in different seasons in the room. And again, that's why we need each other. That's why we need community. Because more than just hear a guy speak from the stage once a week, you need people who can look you in the eyes and say, hey man, I was in that exact fire and here's what God did. I was there too and God restored. And so I would say first off, if you got burned in the fire, there's a God who restores. And secondly, I would say this, and we don't love this answer because we're 21st century Americans who are impatient, but we got to stop letting that be an excuse and we got to get our eyes on this, is that 100% promise, guarantee from the Lord himself that you will enter eternity unscathed. And I'm just telling you, when you get to heaven, I know some of us think, man, I'm going to have some I'm going to have some words with Jesus. 
Like, I, I remember hearing a great actor interviewed a few years ago, and someone asked him, like, if there's a God, what would you say to him? And his response was, you have a lot of explaining to do. And I think some of us have that in us. It's like, man, I can't wait to get to heaven because, man, I'm, I'm going to get in Jesus' face about X, Y, or Z. And I just want to let you know that none of us are going to get to heaven and look at Jesus and go, what was that about? Well, how could you? I'm just telling you, man, when we see him, we're just going to go, wow. And we're going to fall into his arms and say, my gracious Savior, my loving God, my Redeemer, my Savior, the one who stood in my fire. The one who took my fire. I should have hung on a cross. You took that cross for me. You rescued me. Your forgiveness is great. Your mercy is great. I'm not here to belittle pain today, guys. I live in a world where I'm up to my eyeballs in pain. But as we remember the great restorer and remember eternity and what will happen when we're truly with Jesus, everything changes. I think we've learned some important things here today. So question number one, are defiance or self-centeredness owning any of us today? God says, go left, you go right. And today's the day to surrender. Again, chapter three in this book, that word surrender keeps coming up. I believe that's a theme we need to be hearing. What do you need to surrender to him? Maybe you're like, Doug, I'm not like purposefully building a statue in my backyard like Nebuchadnezzar did. I'm not trying to go left when God says right. I'm just struggling. Okay, well, that's a different kind of surrender than isn't it? That's an honesty with God. Lord, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm just going to bring you this. So bring it to him. What will we do when culture calls for us to forsake God? We pay the price, man, because you're going to get a billion dollars worth for a penny. Our great God is so good. What does real faith look like in desperate situations? I think it's great confidence that God can and will do the miracle, but it's surrender, that even if he doesn't, my eyes are going to be on him, the great restorer and the one who will bring me to eternity one day. Who stands with us in the fire? The Son of God. The fire burns off the ropes that confine us, He's able to protect us and bring us to himself in heaven in such power. Next week, the story of Daniel continues. And we're going to dig into some stuff for the rest of this series that isn't quite as familiar. We have the Daniel's, uh, Daniel in the Lion's Den story coming up in a few weeks. But, but around that is a lot of stuff that probably is way less familiar to you. And it's powerful. And it's incredible how it speaks to our time things that are happening in the world around us. And so I hope you'll come. I hope you'll invite some friends. I always like to think about it like this. Which friend do you wish was sitting next to you during the service today? Like who, who, who as we were talking and looking at the book of Daniel, we're going, oh man, I wish so-and-so was here. I got to send them the podcast. Or I got to send them the YouTube link. Like, like invite that person for next Sunday as we continue to dig into this series. But man, if we will really take to heart what we learned today, we will walk free of getting swallowed up by the consequences of our defiance and self-centeredness. We'll pay the penny it costs to follow Jesus and enjoy the billions that he's lavished on us. We'll walk in great faith and great surrender in desperate situations, then we'll know that Jesus stands with us no matter what we go through. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to put your trust in him today. I'd love for you to ask him to be your savior and the one who would rescue you. He took what you could never take. He stood in the fire we could never stand in as he was crucified in our place and he rose from the dead that we would have a relationship with him. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word and thank you for how it challenges us and encourages us. And so we just ask for your help today, God. We just want to pray through, through these questions today. And so if you're here today and you would say, yeah, man, I'm defiant. I, I'm trying to make it about me. I'm trying to make it about my kingdom. I'm trying to make it anything but God. Man, I would just plead with you today because I love you. And I want what's good for you. That you would surrender that stuff. I would encourage you to get very specific with them right now. 
God, I'm going to surrender running. I'm going to surrender uh, arrogance. I'm going to surrender just thinking I know better than you. Maybe you're just angry at God. I'm going to surrender that anger to you. I'm going to surrender, God, just my desire to have fun and think that this broken past is going to lead there. God, I just surrender my defiance, my self-centeredness, my plan to you, and I surrender to your plan, God. Second question, what will we do when culture calls for us to forsake God? Maybe some of us just need boldness today. You need to say, God, I, I, I got to bring you my fears. I got to bring you these things that are terrifying me, these, these situations where I could lose something. God, I just bring it to you. Oh, Lord, I just pray now over us. Make us bold, God. Make us bold, Lord. May we not shake our fists in anger at people who don't know you. May we love them well, but may we not compromise. May we stand up for who you are. For those of us who just need real faith in a desperate situation, Lord, I want to pray for all the desperate situations in the room, and let me just pray for them like we see patterned here in this verse. God, we know you can. God, we believe you will. But even if you don't, Lord, we're going to worship you. So we bring it to you. We bring you those loved ones that have cancer. We bring you, God, those uh, struggles in relationships and finances and marriages, God, and just addictions and depressions and all those things, Lord God. And we just say, God, come through. Come through, Lord. Do it. Do it, Lord God. God, I thank you, lastly, that you stand with us in the fire. We are never, ever, ever alone. Every trial, every circumstance, you walk with us, Lord give you praise for that today and that you will bring us to heaven unscathed no smell of smoke not one hair singed thank you god that we get to collapse into your arms one day we love you god you're not a follower of jesus and you want to put your trust in him i'd love for you to pray with me now just pray quietly something like this jesus thank you for dying for me thank you for coming back from the dead that i could know you and have a relationship with you show me how close you are how near you are God, just fill me with your love and your spirit. Thank you for this gift of salvation. In your name, amen. Hey, we'd love for you guys to stand with us now. We're gonna close the service out just worshiping together. And I really encourage you to come up to the front if you need some prayer. Myself and some others will be up here. We'd love to pray with you. Don't put this off. If you have a need, come up and let us pray with you.